0: Welcome back to Ravens Recap. The Ravens figured out how to get a win on the road and come from behind this game, winning 24-10 to 10 against the Indianapolis Colts. They had a very weird week with many defensive starters in COVID protocol, not able to practice and having to learn from afar. But it seemed like it may have taken them a half to figure out the actual assignments and everything started to flow. Yeah,
1: and I mean, I guess the game we got is kind of, you know, was the only outcome that could be expected from such a weird week. Shortly after we recorded that episode with Pete last week, at that time, we weren't aware that Marlon Humphrey had COVID and all of that, those individuals were going to be on that list, but all of them played on Sunday with the exception of Fort, but that was injury related, not COVID related. So that was definitely good to that it was only marlin who got the virus and hopefully he gets better very quickly but yeah there was some big things with that game first win for the franchise in indianapolis apparently it was also the first time in 20 tries that the ravens had won a game when they were trailing at halftime so that's another good milestone that you don't want to be in that situation too often so yeah, it was a weird game for the Ravens, but a uh, good, good win when all was said and done.
2: Yeah, I know my initial reaction for it was uh, it felt like you know back in the early 2010s, in the early Flacco era, where you know, the offense could do absolutely nothing in the first half and then come out in the third quarter and score something. <laughs> it, it didn't feel so great at the time. But, uh, you know, now that we have hindsight, we can look back at the game. Uh, it definitely felt like a, uh, almost like a throwback Ravens game.
1: It felt like it's been a couple weeks of that. I felt like the the Cincinnati game was that way with a bit, with that one being such a dominant defensive performance. And uh, the Philadelphia game a bit kind of reminded you of like some games in like 2014, 2015, where no lead was safe. Uh, <laughs> and the, yeah. the teams could come back and on the, the defense in the fourth quarter. So, yeah we're seeing you know it, it was interesting last year in the middle of the season was the time the Ravens really didn't have the the issues that we usually expect to see from this franchise in late October, early November those middle of the season growing pains that that kind of set in, but you know it's been a little rockier for the Ravens as of late, definitely compared to last year, but they're still six and two at the, the mid season mark and you know this win they just had against the Colts. We'll have to see how well the Colts do going forward, but this could have big playoff implications when it comes to seeding at the end of the year, especially if the Ravens aren't able to to catch Pittsburgh when it's all said and done.
2: Yeah, I mean let's let's not sugarcoat it either. I mean, like last week the game against the Steelers, I, I, you know there was a lot of. Um, I think we tried to pull out a lot of like silver linings and be like, yeah, we lost, but you know look at all the good things that did happen and things that we've been looking for for the previous week. I will say that this game against the Colts was definitely a lot, I think a lot different, right? I mean, first off, let's caveat it of like, yes, the Ravens did not play well. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, as you said, Peter, they were down at the half, 10-7. It looked like a game that the Colts were going to run away with, frankly, in the first half. And they came out of halftime in the third quarter, executed extremely well, and started playing, Extremely good football for the second half and beat a quality opponent, I think, uh, in the Colts. I mean, they're definitely, you know, they've they've had some struggles on offense, but their defense is definitely legit We're a very good defense over there. Um, and, and even some of the play aside from some of their players on offense, like they have some good offensive players too. You know, they were getting a lot of people involved. The running backs were very good. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, the Ravens went into this. They overcame the adversity. They overcame all the injuries. Uh, they overcame all of, you know, the lack of practice from this week. I think they showed a lot with this win for sure. So there's something that they should definitely be proud of. Well, Chris, you said it. They had injuries
0: coming into the game and they didn't leave unscathed. Unfortunately, uh, one of our favorite new players, Calais Campbell, we won't be seeing him for a couple weeks. It sounds like this calf stream, while not major, will keep him out for at least two, three weeks. Worst case, four weeks, according to reports. And then Khalil Dorsey is also going to be missing in action with a dislocated shoulder, and he'll be out for a couple of weeks. So our already bleak cornerback depth just got even worse. And that's that's still going to be a hard one to solve. I don't know who's on the streets. I looked into Maurice Cannaday and he's a COVID opt-out on the Cowboys, and they could use him. That secondary is terrible. But, uh, yeah, we got a little bit of issues coming up. I highly doubt Maurice Canaday is the
1: hashtag answer for the Cowboys defensive woes, but I do get what you're saying, that they could at least use some additional bodies. But. <laughs>
0: Anybody would be better than them. I mean, you know, maybe 3% of the fan base could play better than the current players.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, this cornerback position, it feels like it's been the talking point all year. We, we talked about it coming into the season, and then week two, Tavon Young goes down. So it's, we've just been talking about this all year, and the Ravens have just had to get creative with it and just rely on players we didn't know who they were coming into the season. I will say, I don't know if we've heard any die down on the chatter about the possibility of Brandon Carr. I don't know if he ever signed with anyone um, after Dallas released him but that could be one place the ravens go but yeah hopefully it's a it's a quick recovery because ravens have some tough games coming up after this one and you want them you want the team at full strength for the playoff push
2: yeah it, it was one of those injuries man that just really sucked i mean i saw it when it happened and i saw him you know i think it was on a special teams play i think he hurt his shoulder and just saw him on the ground i was like uh you know not another corner man <laughs> right you know, I mean, it's it's been one of those things, right? It's it's a position group that's been a luxury for the Ravens the past couple of years because, you know, of Ozzie and, and Eric DeCosta realizing like, hey, you can literally have never too many corners because we've had so many injury issues in the past. And despite all the depth coming into this year with corners, you know, uh, it's, <laughs> it's never it's never uh, never enough depth actually. Right. Um. So it's super unfortunate. We hope he comes back healthy. You know, I guess if there's any consolation to this, it sounds like Dorsey and, and it might come back around the same time. So, you know, as long as they're able to stay healthy for the home stretch of the season, I mean, I, I would definitely feel a lot better about having those two guys in the depth chart to be able to rotate in and out. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely super unfortunate.
0: Yeah, agreed. I'm looking at it right now, and uh, it looks like the Rams are going to have to get creative about having players that typically don't play on defense start to contribute. Like Anthony Levine had six snaps this game and he hasn't played on defense in a long time. Saw a lot of Chris board yesterday too. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, Chris board is also, I think doing a lot. Like he played 51% of snaps, 35 snaps yesterday. That's way high for him. And I think they're kind of treating him like an additional coverage guy. Cause he's probably one of our best coverage linebackers. Uh, maybe outside of fort, as far as discipline goes, but maybe at pure skill wise, It's nuts. It's really nuts. I mean, you look at this thing and you had a guy Bonds who wasn't even praying to see the, the field uh you know, earlier in the season, playing eighty seven percent of snaps. <laughs> now granted, uh, you know, the the other upshot is that Marlon Humphrey will come back next week in, in theory. So if he comes back, like thumbs up, that helps a lot. Uh you know, pushes all these guys down one. But uh yeah. The depth at the beginning of the year has been ravaged. A guy that we keep forgetting to talk about because he's been irrelevant is Iman Marshall. The guy can't see the field. He's been uh, two years of injuries now. Uh, it is two years in the league. So it's really been a, a plague this year for the Ravens.
2: Here's hoping that Iman Marshall uh, comes out next year like uh, Deshaun Elliott did. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, that'd be dope. That'd like be awesome. That. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some dope play.
0: So we said we lost Calais Campbell. He came out of the game in the basically the first drive, if I remember properly. Uh, yeah, he only had three snaps. So uh, you know who filled in? The rookie, Justin Matabuke. He had 24 snaps, uh, 35% of the snap share, and this guy played great. I saw him make that open field tackle, and I was just like, wow. You know, that's not one that you'll ever see, like, you know, bolded on the stat sheet. They don't have a wow column, but, uh, <laughs> you know... That, that was something that was
1: really nice. Yeah, he made his mark on this game. Five total tackles, uh, half a tackle for loss. Yeah, th- there was the a big story of this game for the Ravens was the run defense. Granted, the Colts, while they have that three-headed rushing attack, not any one of those guys is really a guy that scares you. But they're still an effective unit. They had a huge day. Well, they had a huge day the week prior, but that was against Detroit. So, I mean, take that for what you will. But... Yeah, I mean, the defensive line stepped up with Campbell out. The rookie played great. Derek Wolf had a lot of strong plays in run defense as well. Brandon Williams was doing well. There was some suspect play a bit from Jalen Ferguson and some other guys in setting the edge. So it wasn't a perfect effort, but ultimately they did enough to keep this game in the Ravens' favor while the offense was having their struggles, which we'll get to after we're done dissecting the defense.
0: I thought the defense was similar to the offense in that the second half cleaned up a lot. Like, the edge was not getting set well in the first half. We saw them getting success with jet sweep plays. You didn't really see that in the second half, so they made some adjustments. One thing I noticed is I felt like Tyus Bowers wasn't out there nearly as much. And I don't know if it's just because the game plan didn't call for him to be involved or what. Yeah, that may be how they're they're trying to figure out how he
1: fits in now that, that Yannick is there. We did see him have a lot of snaps Against Pittsburgh, but Judon what got an ejection fairly early in that game, so that may be the just trying to figure out where in the defensive scheme he fits in relation to to the new guy. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, speaking of Yannick, I, I recall uh, last last week um, when we were doing the unpacking of the game against Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I said I didn't really see terribly much of him just, just watching the game. I didn't really have a chance to dig too deep into the film before we recorded, certainly much less than I usually do. But that was not the case this game. I did get to watch more film this week, but at the same time, just watching the game real time, it was quite obvious that Yannick that was getting to the quarterback quite a bit throughout the game there were several times where he should have had a sack and just rivers was able to just get his old man body away from him just enough or an offensive lineman was, was able to get a final push and take him away. But when Yannick did get to the quarterback, it might not have been a sack, but there were several plays where it caused rivers to have a hurried throw and cause him to overthrow a receiver. And a couple of those plays were on third down, which obviously killed the drive for the Colts. So, wasn't a huge day from a stats perspective but yannick definitely made his his mark in the defensive
0: game so i'm trying to find uh if we got a sack this game and it looks like no surprisingly no <laughs> yeah it was kind of shocking that we got no sacks this game like for all the pressure we had like judon came like a bat out of hell a couple times and uh you know you just had philip rivers throw it away to no man's land lucky it wasn't a pick Yeah, what's what's
1: interesting also looking at Yannick's
0: game, I hadn't hadn't
1: noticed this until just now. But you know, I I said he didn't have a huge game from a stats perspective. I'm looking at the stat sheet from the game. I don't see his name under the defensive stats at all. But the man was definitely in the backfield. If you rewatch the game, I even had one play. I I highlighted a couple plays that I thought were were underrated while I did the the game rewatch. And around 4:43 in quarter three, uh, this is a third down play and. Yannick blitzed from, from the left, and he, he should have had Rivers, but he forced Rivers up in the pocket and scrambled on his right, and that forced an overthrow by Rivers, but doesn't show up on the stat sheet. But that play, that third down failure by the Colts, was mainly brought to you by a pressure by Yannick Ngakwe. So there were other positions like that where you know he was just doing things that don't show up on the stat sheet but had a, had a big impact on drives. Right.
2: Yeah. I I remember that play too. I I remember live and I was about to message you guys at the time. And I was like, ah, if only Yannick had had moved his lineman a little bit to the right, Rivers would have ran right into him. But fortunately, you know, he forced the incompletion. So I'm like, well, can't really complain about it. We just get it. You know, we would have gained like three yards maybe, but (laughs) otherwise it's still a three and out. I think the other thing to, uh, to talk about as well, uh, if we're talking linebackers, you know, the linebacker group without LJ Fort very, very inexperienced. I mean, you're talking Patrick Queen, Malik Harrison and Chris Board. None of those guys coming into this game, I think, would have scared anybody uh, outside, you know, maybe a few Ravens fans who've seen how fast Queen is. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, they don't have a lot of experience between the three of those. And uh, especially, you know, in, in pass coverage, but Overall, I thought they had a very, very good game. Malik Harrison in particular was definitely on on the stat sheet. I believe he had seven tackles. I don't know. I guess that was between defense and special teams because he was very good at special teams as well this week.
0: Correct. Yeah, it's a combination.
2: Yeah. But uh, Harbs definitely gave uh, kudos to them and and his presser today.
0: I think the cool thing that we saw was when you lost Fort, who might be our most well-rounded guy right now as uh, Queen continues to develop, they kind of did utilize the notion of a platoon linebacker you know using Harrison in the downs where he could really be that thumper not that he did bad in pass pro I thought he actually did pretty decent but uh you know they they then they bring him board like we said he had a lot of snaps I I thought it was cool to definitely see Harrison step up and this was the first game I don't know if you guys noticed this this is the first game that we can now say officially throughout the whole season all 10 of our draft picks have played because even Gino stone contributed on special teams. So that's a, uh, that's a thumbs up. I feel like to the whole squad to be able to have players that have contributed, like the whole draft class has contributed at one point or another, granted like injuries helped a lot <laughs> to get to that point, but yeah. nevertheless, like they're there, they're participating and uh, no clear issues yet. You know?
2: Yeah. That's definitely one thing that this year, you know, among all the other years of football, it's particularly interesting this year because of the new COVID rules, because of the expanded roster rules. It's been very good for teams to be able to field a quality unit week in and week out because they have so many more guys who are just able to practice regularly with the team. And so, yeah, I mean, when you have teams that have injuries, like, you know, like the Ravens or like any other team, you know, your depth is tested and in years prior, you might pick up a guy off the street. If you know, you have too many players on IR or, you know, just not be able to contribute and you have to try and get them up to speed to be able to play them for the game. But now we just have so many more of these guys who've been practicing since, you know, August, uh, we're able to contribute. I think it's been really great, especially, you know, we're talking about the corner depth too. It's, you know, going into the season, I don't think any of us would have expected anything from Dorsey or bonds, but honestly, you know, even before Dorsey went down, I thought he was, you know, I thought he was relatively decent. I mean, what you would expect, I think from like a fourth, fifth, sixth corner. And even, you know, despite some, some struggles in the, the first uh, two quarters, I think bonds uh, ended up having a pretty good, uh, a pretty good game as well. So I think that would be a really interesting episode, maybe for the future, if we want to talk about some of the, uh, some of the rule changes from the COVID season and see if uh you know how we like them and or whether we could see the NFL keeping them for for next year and, and beyond. I know Harbaugh is definitely in favor of of some of these rules. I honestly think it's natural. I
0: one thing that's really missing from the NFL is this notion of a a feeder league. Now granted the XFL has tried, uh you know, there's been there's been attempts, but there's no feeder league. So I feel like having a place to keep these guys football shape for a lack of a better term, but also just like affiliated with the team is not a bad thing. I'm I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. More people playing football. Why not?
1: Yeah. I, I agree with just the reason that you just said there, the, at some point the NFL has to figure out how you keep these fringe guys and, and give them second, third chances. And, um, like you do have in baseball and basketball because some guys just take longer to develop. And especially in, a, it works for the teams as well. Cause with all these injuries, as we're seeing guys need to fill roster spots, teams need to fill roster spots. And if those guys are better players, then, you know, it makes for a better product when you're inevitably going to have injuries. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Definitely agree with what you guys are saying, but yeah, I do want to get back though, to talking about bonds and and Dorsey, their play as well as uh, Harrison and queen, because, you know, going into this game, like Marlon Humphrey is the guy who's primarily going to be, on the slot when he's healthy. So with with Smith and Peters on the outside, like that was a huge place for the Colts to have attacked yesterday. And usually with slot receivers are coming across the middle. So that's going to put Queen and Harrison in the position where they're going to have to step up and they've struggled a bit in coverage. But, you know, they did give away, away some yards to the slot receiver on Sunday. Pittman and, and Pascal did make some plays, but nothing that was given up was anything that was... A game killer, you know that none of those plays, they, they were the only time the Colts were able to have any success was when they were stringing together these these chunk plays of like ten to twelve yards, and that's what they did on the touchdown drive. None, none none of those one plays, you look at that and you're just like, oh man, that was that was such an incredible gain for the Colts. So you guys already said it; they came up, they stepped up, and had great games. But while the Colts did have some success, you didn't see any plays where those guys were. We're not playing well enough for the Ravens to still do what they wanted to do,
0: which is which is what you want to see when those guys come in. Well, we went this long talking about the defense without talking about the biggest plays. I think uh, they saved our butts. Right, the first half would have looked real ugly if it wasn't for the fact that Marcus Peters, MP Juice Man, pulled his best uh, Marlon Humphrey impression. Which, by the way, I don't know if you guys listened to the post game presser but it seems like he's he's not appreciative of everyone just assuming because money Marlowe is like the king of strips that he never did before (laughs) so like i I forget what a person asked him but they're like is that like inspired by marlon or whatever you know he's like just look at my stat sheet i've been doing it for a long time (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh man he's tired of playing second fiddle i think he kind of likes having the game by himself
2: um yeah, this isn't like a Batman and Robin situation here. Go put some respect on AP Juice yeah. Man's name. <laughs> it's like an, an Iron Man and Captain America situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely more applicable.
0: It was more, yeah, it, 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 was, it made sense with the Elliot one because he's a younger player, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then he even came and said, like, oh, yeah, I watched a the of film, et cetera. But for Juice Man, yeah, he, he just like seemed like put off by the question. He's like, come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm an unprofessional too. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, but he got that strip, and then uh, Chuck Clark picked it up, and I was watching him. I was like, oh, is he going to be able to pull it off? And there was one man to beat. Peter, take it away.
1: There was one man to beat. It was very close. You know, at, at For a second there, I wasn't certain if him and the ref would collide, and then that would be the end of the play. But <laughs> <laughs> it got close there. You never want to see the officials you know, take away a, a play like that. There was also an, an object on laying on the field. I think it was wearing a Colts jersey that Clark had to hurdle.
2: Just put a towel or something. I don't know,
1: <laughs> something like that. Or may, maybe maybe a washed up forty year old quarterback who, who who still thinks he has an NFL caliber body. But oh man, in all seriousness, poor Philip Rivers, man. I gosh, doesn't he have a a, a coaching gig with a high school lined up after this? Yeah, he's already doing it. <laughs> <laughs> man he's he's probably getting ripped by those kids i can just imagine <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah,
2: yeah it's, it's uh one one of the worst uh tackle attempts i think we've seen uh, all season <laughs> maybe in a couple of years i don't know but but uh but yeah i mean what a what a heck of a play by by peters and and uh and Clark to be able to run that thing back. I, I tell you what, man, like between Clark and Elliot too, like I I don't know if it was just this particular one, but I gotta say Clark, his four forty can't be that good either. It, <laughs> I, th- I felt like he was gonna get caught by somebody. I but know, then I, right? but then I realized that T. Y. Hilton wasn't playing this game, so I was like, Okay, well you might have he's definitely got a shot. So <laughs> It's funny,
0: man. They uh Yeah, they're all remarkably fast. if so you were to see him in person, but when you watch him on the field, you have like a different sense of game speed and you're just like yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know uh, I don't know if he's that quick. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, Chuck Clark. He got it in the end zone. He had enough uh, leeway in order to do the like sprawl arms, uh, like Ed Reed reminded me celebration going into the end zone, and uh, that that saved us. That that I felt like, like I said, kept us in the game. Took some momentum away because we seemed like we couldn't do anything right. Uh, it was a big savior for this team because I think it was the drive after uh, the failed drive to score a touchdown in response to their touchdown drive.
1: Yeah, we've seen time and time again. It's it's incredible that the Ravens are able to do this. You know, Ray Lewis is gone, Ed Reed's gone, Terrell Suggs is gone. They're still able to find these guys who play the type of football that can get the team out of a jam when the offense is struggling. So, yeah, we did we did talk about how this was the first time in twenty attempts. Did some research. I couldn't figure out exactly which that game was, but I think it was week two, 2016, um, when Cleveland somehow got out to that inexplicable 20-0 lead that the Ravens had to claw back from was the last time the Ravens were able to win going into half, after they were down at halftime. But but while the Ravens did win this game, they were down at half, but they were only down three. Like they were down three and that looks a lot better than if you're, and, and mentally, that's a lot easier for you to claw out of if, than if you're down by not just 10, but you haven't scored anything. Like, I think not only did that play mean that, okay, well, the, the deficit is smaller when we come out for the second half, I think mentally it, it had to do something too to, for the defense to know, okay, this, you know, we can get this. It, it's not, we're not wasting our energy here if the offense can't can't get on track like we can take this game into our own hands as well and can win it if the offense you know isn't able to to pick it up
2: yeah sadly i'm sure pittsburgh used that same formula against us the week prior right because we went into the halftime being up 17 to 7 and that seven points was pick six by lamar jackson so that's true yeah
0: the other big play by the defense was uh another one of those situations where we lost a lot of morale right uh well, we'll talk about the offense soon, but they came out swinging that first drive after the half. They looked like they, you know, <laughs> made the trip finally, and right at the goal line, Edwards had a fumble, and what what happens next? The, literally, the next exact play, MP Juice Man gets an INT, which uh, at first was not called an INT, and felt like it wasn't an INT, in my opinion. Like, it didn't really feel the, like, pass the smell test, so to speak, but they made a review and he did hold on to the ball for a while. And they said, that's an interception. So that was a pretty big swing of events. I know that, uh, Pete was not happy about it. He thought the rest got involved in the game and like completely turned it around.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- that sequence of plays was really, really interesting. I know we'll, we'll transition the offense in a second, but I, I know, uh, Patrick McCarry got beat really hard on, on that one play, uh, where Edwards coughed up the football, mm-hmm. uh, Definitely don't blame it. You know, don't put it too much on Edwards for that. Just because you know, if you had a guy coming to you that quickly, and you know, it, it's it, it can be hard to, to try and make sure you cover up the football. It was a good punch out too. Like it, it, just, it was, it was good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Mar- Marlon Humphrey would be proud, and Juice Man would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it, it was one of those plays too, where you know, if Hollywood doesn't come and, and tackle the the linebacker who had picked up the ball that could have been a seven point swing right there. And, and that would have definitely uh, had a negative impact going in, uh going in the rest of the game. But yeah, man, that, that, inter- that interception, I think people are going to be talking about that for the rest of the season. I I told you guys during the game, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like it, it was just one of those calls of like initially, like, yeah, I'm happy that they made it, but like, I don't see it personally. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things of like, well, if that's an interception, then like, okay, then what's the catch? We're just going to have to go back right back to the catching rules and what is, and what isn't, you know?
0: Right. It just never felt like he had a really good handle on the ball because it was always in front of him, right? Like he never pulled it in. I think that's why it never looked like a catch. In my opinion is like, it was always extended and granted he did like many plays, but it never, never got you know into his chest. what did you think, Peter?
1: Yeah. So that play, I, I had to rewatch it today because I, I, I think in real time I just I just saw that you know the ball was on the ground pretty quickly after Peters got his hand off it, so I initially thought it was incomplete. And at that point, I had the game on on mute because we we were trying to keep little guy asleep. But yeah, so then it, it gets it's reviewed, and I'm not listening to what the announcers are saying, so I'm still not quite sure of what the argument was that overturned it i will say if you watch it in slow motion enough it looks to me like peters has somewhat of control of the football for three steps that's it that's exactly yeah and then it's knocked out and then the part that confuses me the most is how we got the football after that because it's clearly a fumble at that point i don't know when the whistle was drawn was blown but then yeah i think like chuck clark i think just picked up the ball just be for the heck of it, it clearly looked like everyone thought
0: the play was dead. So, Well, they said it was a clear recovery by the Ravens. <laughs> it, it
1: was a clear recovery, sure, because <laughs> they picked the football off, off the ground on a dead play, but, yeah, that's one of those ones that you're like, I don't know, yeah, I I can fully understand Colts fans and the Colts team if they got upset about that call. I will say I think the Ravens win either way, whether or not <laughs> they get that call, Agreed. but yeah, it certainly helped them. Get back on top quicker. <laughs> All right. So we talked about how this game was was a you know bit sloppy for the offense to start with. Took the offense and defense a bit of time to get going. Not really until the second half. And you know in a game like that where where that's going to come down to field position. One thing, one way that you can keep the game at least on track for you as a team is by winning in the special teams. And I didn't quite notice it during the game, but it really was clear on the rewatch I was doing today that the special teams in particular on kick coverage just had an excellent week. I mean, anytime the Colts players received the ball, there was at least three or four Ravens defenders quickly there to wrap up the tackle. Sam Cook had an, an excellent punt at one point, downed it at the well, it hit the ground at the two-yard line, and he hit it in a way so that it, it bounced forward five yards, and the Ravens were able to down it at the seven. And and that's something else that you think about it factors into the game flow. The Colts had at least two punts go into the end zone, which gave the Ravens some better field position. And Malik Harrison, we already talked about how Malik Harrison had some special teams tackles. He had a lot of special teams tackles, at least three. He was had an excellent game on that front, but... Yeah, I guess I'm kind of going high level over there, but yeah, what did you did you guys see the same thing I saw that, you know, special teams was a was a big factor yesterday?
2: Yeah, it's it's one of those things too where going into it, I was a little worried because I we just put Chris Moore on IR and he's definitely been one of the strongest if not like the strongest special teamers that the Ravens have had for the past couple of years. The other thing to keep in mind too is I think Dorsey was playing Chris Moore's usual spot as one of the gunners on the field and he went down in the middle of the game and so after that you're like uh okay I don't know who's gonna play the other gunner spot but it almost was like it didn't matter because yeah, like you said, Harrison was in on a lot of special teams tackles. It felt like Levine also mm-hmm. showed up in a huge way. I mean, he had a fantastic game. Uh was blowing up guys on coverage and you know, uh, I think there was one play where he tried to blow up a guy and you know, he was able to kind of shake it off and run for a couple more yards. Fortunately, you know, it, it didn't really matter in the end how many more yards that that guy ran from, but the, uh, the hustle and just like the, the power that, that Levine was showing a couple of tackles was like very, very noticeable from previous weeks.
0: Oh yeah. He just slammed the guy down. It was awesome. I think it was like the first kickoff. Like he just like got down there. And he just like, you yeah. just, just like threw him down. Yeah. Like it wasn't even a tackle. It's like, I'm going to grab you. I'm going to throw you down in the opposite direction.
1: <laughs> oh, on that play, man, the, the runner j- for the Colts just ran into a, a wall of Ravens defenders. It was like, I think they were, yeah. had blocked one of the Colts own guys into him too. And there was like three guys around him. It was a, <laughs> yeah, it was an
0: exclamation yeah. point to start the game. Yeah, Levine definitely played well on special teams, and he's like I said, he played a little bit on on defense too. He's one of those veterans on a relatively young squad. The Ray Lewis of special teams, as we've called Anthony Levine before.
2: And then, of course, you can't forget that field goal by Justin Tucker. Again, always perfect, man. You know, I think it was a bit of a longer attempt too. It was a forty forty six yard attempt, forty seven yard attempt.
0: Yeah, it was like that that long and perfectly down the middle. Like, could have sliced the uprights, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The guy's a machine. I was about to say, like, I, I knew we were rounding it out. And I was like, yeah, I guess we gotta talk about JT, like doing JT things. Yeah. <laughs> Just
2: gotta love it, man.
0: Yeah, definitely appreciate it. We gotta have like a dedicated uh, bell for him or something. <phone rings> you know, <laughs> love the <to> make. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about the let's talk about the offense. So like we said, they um, got to the game late, so uh, it wasn't until the second half of the show that they decided to like you know play all kidding aside, it it definitely was a very brutal first half. I called it miserable and probably the worst one we've seen while covering the Ravens.
1: Well, certainly, yeah, the worst of this show. Lamar Jackson had zero rushing yards in the first quarter, which is the only quarter in his career so far that he's had that. And as we've already said, the only points that the Ravens scored going into halftime were by the defense. So it really doesn't get much worse than that. And we did talk about how this Colts defense, they got players like they're not a pushover, despite the fact that uh, with so many new players, this this team is still hard to gauge about, you know, their t- overall talent level from if you're not a Colts fan. But yeah, I will say I wasn't expecting the Ravens to have it easy on the offensive side, but it was just it was really weird watching them struggle as much as they did to just get anything going in the first half at all.
0: Well, it starts with the O-line, right? The O-line did not have a good game. We saw uh, Bozeman get blown up a few times during that one touchdown run by Lamar. Like, the whole line fell down. So, like, <laughs> grateful that they they bit so hard on Dobbins on the other side or, like, you know, it had been game over. Skura had some bad snaps to start off the game. Apparently his hand was cut, and uh, it seemed like it got better as the game went on, but that was... Not great, and his blocking was suspect as well, so he just had a a poor game. And yet again, this interior offensive line is cause for concern.
2: Yeah, I guess out of all those guys, Bradley Bozeman is definitely the most surprising. He's been generally the uh, most consistent lineman, I think, overall Mm -hmm. for the Ravens this season. Scura, I, I guess I'm I'm not too concerned with as long as his hand heals up. Okay. You know, I mean, if it's, if it's, if, you know, the bad snaps are just because of the hand, okay, well, we'll have it heal up and then, you know, things will be good. It's, it's not like this is a, a, a technique problem to fix or anything. Right. It's just a, uh, you know, unfortunately you can only heal your hand so much and put a glove on it, put a bandage <laughs> right. on it. Like you're going to have some effects from it. So I'm not too worried about that long-term, but yeah, I mean, overall, um, you got to give props to the Colts defense. Certainly for me, you know, I I didn't think that they were bad by any means, but it's also been a really long time since the Colts have had a very good defense. And I would say their defense this year is very good. It's just absolutely surprise, you know, surprising for me, I think as a someone who doesn't watch them very often, uh, they've got some real monsters on the inside uh on their D line and their linebackers are just so strong and fast and we're just flying all over the ball everywhere. It's one of those things where I'm, you know I'm looking at the Ravens and I'm like why aren't we blocking these guys? But the thing is is like you know we we tried like some of the misdirection we tried to get them flowing the wrong way in space and they were just like they were so fast but also just realized what we were doing and were able to like avoid the block and just like run and make the tackle. It was definitely something that took the Ravens a while to, to figure out, but once they hit the third quarter, I think they were able to make some great adjustments to be able to uh, take advantage of some of their stuff.
1: Yeah, I, it was incredible, the night and day difference for the offense between the first and the second half. Granted, they still didn't you know, set the league on fire in the second half, and the offense scored 17 points, which is, I mean, that's just respectable amount you score 17 both half and you score 34 points. That's a pretty good week more than not. But yeah, I mean, first play of the second half, you know, they did a play action pass, got Willie Sneed for a first down on a slant route. That's that Sneed's bread and butter in, in this offense. I think that was a great decision for a rhythm play just to start things off to just get everyone to, to say like, okay, here's something, here's a positive play that makes us feel good about our chances in the second half. And then you saw them do some hurry up, you know, they they got to the line, ran some quick plays. Hollywood had it had a slant over the middle on that drive as well and quickly they got to the red zone and then unfortunately there was that that fumble on Gus Edwards, but then like we said, Ravens got the ball right away on that Marcus Peters maybe maybe not interception and punched it in with with Gus the Bus. So two things to think about on that that Gus run that I want to bring up, like I do think it does show, well, it either shows that the Ravens do have confidence in Gus in that they went right back to him in that situation, or it shows that, you know, they don't trust Dobbins or Hill at all in that situation. It was just like, we got to get it back to Gus regardless of if he fumbles again or not. But man, it it just, again, we're going back to how this Colts defense, played better than we were expecting it took them four straight run plays inside the red zone to get Gus in there three of which were like at the two yard line oh that was gosh. that's not going to cut it most it weeks, but but thankfully they did get in <laughs> yeah.
0: I literally put in our chat like how many does it take all of them <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. it, it was unbelievable I thought it was fourth down yeah. I'm not gonna lie I literally thought it was fourth down but it was actually third because it was four straight plays looking identical. I guess the first one, you know, got the first down. Yeah,
1: the first one was a sizable <laughs> chunk. First one, I think I, I'd have to look back exactly. But it, I think they started at like the, the 13 and Gus pushed forward and, and he extended his arm. And he was like a yard short of the of the end zone, probably closer than that. And then just the line got no push yeah. on the next three plays. They just kept trying to get Gus in. I mean, Gus, I don't think it was a fault of his. There was no push. And even on the play when he did get in... It was no thanks to the pool guard McCary who tripped over himself and blocked no one, but luckily for him, Pat Ricard and, <laughs> and Nick Boyle parted the red sea, and Gus was able to to get in there as the defense tripped him up. But usually that shouldn't happen. But you know,
2: we'll we'll take what we can get. I look at that as like one of those plays of like you know if the Ravens want to be a really good team and they think that they're a really good team, you gotta make that play. <laughs> like if they didn't make that play, I mean you can't get one yard at the gold line on you know your running backs, which is supposed to be your entire offense. Like they don't deserve to be here, man. Unfortunately, they were able to get it. Well, everything was good, but I look at that of you know that the the Ravens showed that they have some grit even though that they were in a, a poor situation, and I also have to. Again, tip my hat off to the to the Colts defense. Like they've got some really good players, and I just did not, you know, realize how good that they were after seeing the Ravens struggle for three quarters against them. Peter, I wanted to go back to
0: your point about them not trusting Dobbin's. This is not a Dobbin's diatribe, drive; just a, a thing I, I noticed. They actually they trusted him on the fourth down play, um, on the eighth drive to convert, and he did. So I felt like, because I kind of felt similar, like why, like. Have you considered this other guy on the team? Or have you considered, uh, you know, doing anything but the same play four times in a row? Um, (laughs) And, uh, yeah, they considered Dobbins on the the fourth down play. That was really nice, and it was a good run. Apparently, they've been, like, quote-unquote practicing it for weeks. I I feel like they always say that. Like, (laughs) practicing this play for weeks. (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay. Uh, And he did well there. Another thing I wanted to point out from that drive if we want to start talking maybe about Lamar's play, is that, unfortunately, I think the it was pretty clear to me, at least this game, that one of the reasons they're not attacking deep is because they are not confident they can get the time. And we did not see the adjustment that we called for last week of them moving Lamar outside the pocket to create more time for him. Uh, because on that same drive, right after the Dobbins fourth down conversion, Hollywood got open deep. He had single coverage. He totally beat the man but at that point Lamar was already scrambling for his life. He picked up a couple of yards, but he could have had a huge chunk play. He could have he could have scored a touchdown on that play if if he just had a little bit longer protection. And uh I think that's what's really hurting this team right now on the offensive side of the ball is that our pass pro they don't trust that they'll get ample time.
1: No, definitely. I mean, that's a a huge point. It's been a bit since the Ravens have connected on on the long ball. Maybe it's happened in the last couple games, but I'm Blanking on a particularly deep throw that the Ravens are able to, to turn into a big chunk. Uh, even this game, Marquise Brown had a 20-yard reception. Nick Boyle had the longest reception of the day at 21 yards. I mean, that's that's not really what you want from this this offense because we we you got guys who can stretch the field and you got a quarterback who can definitely throw the deep ball. But yeah, I think Alec, I think you hit hit it the nail right on the head. Um, those plays have the potential to come, but. You got to start with the foundation to be able to, to do them, which is find a way to get Lamar more time back there and be able to get the receivers enough time to run their routes. I will say, though, even in a game where the Ravens did have to rely more on the short passing game, you do have some players here. We've talked about Mark Andrews before about how he just is such a great route runner and is just able to make the most of every time he catches the football. There were some instances in this game where some of the the, the positions that he took on the field or some of the moves he made after the catch was able to pick up three or four additional yards where maybe that wouldn't be what every player would do. But he just had such a, a high football IQ of knowing what to do. One of the plays in particular I was looking at was, you know, it just looked like a simple play. The Ravens were down in the red zone. I forget which particular drive this was, but it was in the second half. And they ran a play where you had Andrews to the right of Lamar. Gus was to the left. And it was a fake sweep to Gus running right. And then Andrews goes left. And after the the Ravens drove the defender in, and at that moment, Lamar lofts the ball to Andrews. And when Andrews catches it, he is able to, to plan his foot in a way that immediately he cuts up field and goes in between the two defenders for an additional three to four yards. I just think it's small plays like that, that really show again, the value of, of guys like him. And, and Snead had some plays like that too. Just both those guys made some, some small plays throughout the game to just get an additional three to four yards on plays that when it was a game where every yard counted.
2: Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was the same exact play, but I do remember one, it may have been like a third and long I thought the Ravens were around midfield but Omar was just able to find Andrews like on a short kind of dig route and he just sat between two linebackers and was able to catch it yep. and pick up the first down Was that the same play No that was a different play but that
1: was another play that I highlighted Yeah cuz okay. if you if you watch that play I'm glad you brought that up cuz you watched that route and he does he does do a simple curl route just beyond the li- just in front of the line of scrimmage and if right. you look at what he does when he when he breaks from his route, he actually goes one step to to the left to put himself exactly between the two linebackers and right. give Lamar the biggest window to hit him right between the numbers. Yeah, that that was a, a, another great play where Mark Andrews does something that usually be overlooked if you're just watching the game casually and, and seems small, but can have a, a a big impact when the game is this close.
2: Oh, huge. I mean, yeah, and extended the drive. It was they were in a a bad situation already. And, you know, with the way the Ravens have played in the first half, you know, I looked at it and I was like, oh come on. Well, if you don't make this, like it's gonna be another three and out. We're gonna have to punt the ball again. But you know, fortunately Andrews was able to make the catch. I'm like, okay, cool. Now we can move on (laughs) to the next first down and and keep the drive going. So
0: was that in the first half or the second half? That was the first half. Okay, I thought so. Because I so we are probably most likely talking about the same play because it was three plays in a row they went to Andrews. And the first two were bad, in my opinion, right? They were incompletions. <laughs> and it turns out, I, I I actually can't believe this. I heard the stat, they talked about it a lot, that Lamar completed all 10 of his passes in the second half, um, nine of which were in the third quarter. <laughs> Fun fact. Uh, they, they were not trying to pass in the second half, or uh, the fourth quarter. But he actually only missed on four passes all day, which is kind of remarkable when you think about the fact that the offense... Um, was puttering for so long. They only got 55 yards in the uh, first half, no points to show for it. Uh, only four first downs. It, it has to come to the run game, right? The run game was not producing on on the first and second downs where they really traditionally try to, you know, get some yards, and they weren't converting. And that was, uh, I guess, a, a surprising statistic. Like you usually don't see a quarterback have a 97.5 passer rating, and the offense look as poor as it did yeah I mean well I
1: think it it just speaks again to just what we have here at quarterback I mean Lamar struggled last week mostly it was the turnovers he definitely made some big plays and some some big throws as we mentioned as well in addition to some poor ones but for Lamar I think it was a great game where he didn't press he took what the defense and the his offensive line were giving him and Sure, it took till the second half, but you know he was able to make the most of of what was given. No turnovers on the day, I believe. Yeah, none correct. from Lamar. Just none the, from Lamar, right? From
2: Edwards, yeah,
1: yeah. So, I mean, I mean, which is which is big. Yeah, we talked about how the Colts really gave the Ravens' offense a run for their money. So to to back up a, to to bounce back from a four turnover performance against Pittsburgh was was pretty big, in my opinion.
2: I think the only other thing to note, unfortunately there's not really much to, to mention this week, but figure we should talk about it because everybody's been talking about. It. Des Bryant, guys, I know I didn't believe it, but he is in a Ravens uniform. He's wearing eighty-eight <laughs> and he was on the field Sunday for two snaps. <laughs> two snaps, zero targets. Well done. All right. As Peter and I
0: think put in the notes, like <laughs> the wide receiving core has been saved. <laughs> I think we should also talk about the wide receivers in general, the people who caught the ball more specifically. Nick Boyle had a tremendous game. I think they decided that it's best to not have uh, Ricard be a pass catcher, and it seemed like they were having Boyle run a lot more routes, and he's a better option. Uh, (laughs) Thumbs up on that idea. So he actually was our leading receiver, four for four, 46 yards, with a 21-yard long one, and... Everyone wants to talk about it. Twitter erupted from casual f- fans to the reporters. Uh, I think I was the only one who maybe didn't make a, a tweet about it. <laughs> uh, Hollywood Brown, he uh, had a respectable you know, five targets, three catches for 38 yards, but he had a drop, and everyone wanted to talk about the drop, soldiers can't drop, uh, <laughs> and I kind of i was so triggered by it because i'm like oh okay you know he makes a drop and just happens to be in the sequence of uh this tweet and now it's the end of the world now granted third down would have been a huge catch uh what's the best pass we can all agree not the greatest pass but did hit both of his mitts should have made the catch you're professional what do we think about hollywood's bounce back quote unquote i i think we hit on it
1: somewhat uh when you where when we're talking about how Lamar doesn't have enough time yet in the pocket consistently or at all to let the the deep routes solidify, that's where we're going to see Hollywood do his the most of his damage. Um, he's he's not a big guy, so he's not going to get as many targets across the middle. He did have a couple that he was able to convert on Sunday, but I understand his frustration with. How it's going. But yeah, I think that unless the Ravens find a new way to utilize him, it's, we're not going to be hearing much from him until Lamar is able to, to get a lot of time to, to throw to him. With that said, I think, you know, we were again seeing Willie Sneed and Nick Boyle step up in the role of intermediate receiver. Nick Boyle had a pretty solid receiving game against Philadelphia, and then Willie Sneed had his first. 100-yard game as a Raven last week against Pittsburgh. Yeah, both of them stepped up and had solid games, had some first downs. So it's not like Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews are the only receivers. Like when we were saying that early in the season that someone needed to step up, it wasn't just that these guys needed to step up. It was also Lamar had to had to trust them and, and had to start looking their ways on, on plays because you know these guys are good. Nick Boyle is a solid, not spectacular but solid receiving threat. I think you could say the same thing about Snead. Now he's a guy that they when he gets open is going to be more so because of scheme than his own ability to get separation, but his hands are are better than most when he does get the ball. So it's not like the Ravens are are dead in the water in the passing game if they don't aren't able to get the ball to Brown, but at the same time the current offensive line is going to make it difficult to get it to Brown.
2: Yeah, you hope that by hitting some of these other secondary, tertiary options, that if we do that enough, hopefully the defense might defenses might start to back up a little bit, maybe bring a little bit less pressure. I'm sure the you know RO line is going to you know hopefully take some steps forward, barring any more injuries. Hopefully take some more steps forward as they usually do. I think for uh, a couple seasons in a row now, I think the the, the play of the offensive line generally tends to be better toward the tail end of the season. So you hope that with all these factors in mind, like hopefully, you know, we'll be able to take some more shots, be able to get Hollywood a little bit more involved. O- overall, if, just going back to, to my thoughts on him, like, look, man, I mean, I thought he did pretty well. You know, I, I don't blame him too much for that drop, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't really matter all that much. I do appreciate his effort on uh, saving a potential touchdown on that fumble uh, mm-hmm. from Gus Edwards. I was definitely appreciated. It. It's not one that he's going to be happy about because I'm sure he wanted to score on that play. But, I mean, he saved a, a potential seven points. So um, that's definitely huge from a, from like a team perspective. So I'm sure he's happy to win.
0: You know, I want to go back to that offensive line point you made. It's not good when your tight end makes the best block of the game. We got to talk about <laughs> Mandrews' block <laughs> on that, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know what what you call it, the keeper by Lamar, where he uh, does a boot away from the whole offensive lines action. And uh, there was only one man <laughs> saving the day. Mark Andrews just manhandling that poor soul. <laughs> oh, man. Who was that? That was uh,
1: number 30, I think, for the Colts. Which which player was that? If it was number 30, it's George Odom. Anyways, it was clearly a safety. So that's that's all that I think that's really important saying here. I mean... It was a mismatch, though. Like, like you know, <laughs> you got an NFL tight end going up against an NFL safety. Like that guy's going to have like thirty to forty pounds on him. So, like, Manji should win that matchup. But I still think you got to give the guy credit for just, just that was just a nasty block. He he blocked him from the nine yard line, three quarters deep into the end zone. Like that was, <laughs> <laughs> there was no question that that if that play failed, it that. Mark Andrews was going to be the
0: last person blamed. <laughs> he left no doubt on that. Yeah, he finished the play. I think that's the key, right? Sometimes you block a guy just long enough to let the guy get past. No, he, just, he just blocked him. It's like he had no idea that the touchdown was scored. You know, Not enough fans in the stadium to cue him in on it. He just kept blocking him. <laughs> Played until the whistle.
2: Alright, well I think that was a pretty good recap guys I think uh, before we end this episode Let's uh, let's start with our MVPs I'll go first, I actually want to give mine To Nick Boyle, uh, as we mentioned before I thought he had a pretty good game receiving As well as blocking, I mean he always has A pretty good game blocking, definitely think That this is one of his better games uh, Overall in the season.
1: Part of me wants to give The MVP award to Phillip Rivers, but Let's actually give it to a Raven <laughs> um, <laughs> I, woo, there's a couple guys you give it to. Um, I'm going to give it to Malik Harrison. I think there's other guys on the defense who had a better game than him, but I think that this was definitely his coming out game. And you got to love a guy who's giving equal effort on not just on the snaps he's getting on defense at his actual position, but also on special teams where he was all over the place and was a part of many key stops in that regard. Yeah, we we talked a lot before the bye week about how Harrison was was struggling to make an impact, but he had a had he had some plays against Pittsburgh and a very good game on Sunday. So Blake Harrison is uh, trending in the right direction.
0: Before I give mine, I'm going to give an honorable mention to Lamar. I think he had a good bounce back game that kind of got understated in this episode. He was able to create the correct tempo for the offense in the second half and. Uh, you know, get one of his first come from behind victories as a Raven. So kudos to him. But my MVP has to go to MP Juice Man. He was not second fiddle this week. He was the fiddle. He was the lead <laughs> and it's a, Joe fiddle. <laughs> yeah. Uh he stepped up for a dilapidated secondary, particularly the cornerback unit. Um, made Marlon Humphrey proud from he tweeted about it almost instantaneously when he saw that uh, punch out, and uh, I think he had a huge game, and also the uh, I guess suspect interception of the probably of the season. I don't know if we're ever going to see another interception that's so uh, questionable. Some there's been a dialogue on Twitter if it's the greatest uh, challenge ever by uh, by Harbaugh, and I'm like it might be because I've never seen a challenge where I was like no, <laughs> like I don't think so. You know I don't I don't even see the grounds almost. Like I eventually saw it, you know, but it just, they just it didn't pass the smell test. So, uh, I guess good for hardball. <laughs> well, well done. And actually maybe that's their MVP is just the coaching staff. I think the coaching staff did really well this game, particularly with their, uh, halftime adjustments. They're really good at that. We always talk about their halftime adjustments and it, it really showed this game because it was a totally different team. The second half on both sides of the ball. With that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Ravens Recap. Thanks for joining us. We're going to record now another episode about the Patriots with uh, the same guys last year, Chris Macris. He doesn't seem as excited this year to talk about the game, but we'll get into that soon. It's a very different team. Will this team have better luck than his twin brothers this week? Probably not. But tune in to find out our thoughts, and we'll see you there.